Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. Genesis under attack. And, uh, you know, for me, sometimes titles come easy, and other times I'm wrestling, like, gosh, what do we call this thing? You know, like, uh, and then uh, sometimes, uh, you know, my wife helps me, uh, and, uh, and sometimes I wish I hadn't asked, because, uh, because uh, she says, Genesis, uh, that's a power company, uh, you know, the power company under attack. No, this is not about Genesis or Meridian or any, this is about the book of Genesis. All right, so Genesis <laughs> under attack, and, and uh, praise God. So today I would like us to, uh, to examine uh, at least parts of the first chapter. Everybody say the first chapter. The first chapter in the book of Genesis, the first chapter in, in, in the whole book uh, of the Bible, and focus on some of the anchor points that uh, God has laid down right in the beginning. Um, and friends, let me say that uh, the need to preach truth is stronger and bigger than ever before. We live in such days of great deception, and for that matter, great stress around us, great fear. And yet the truth of God's Word puts faith into our hearts, and it, it dispels fear. The love of God dispels fear. Um, and you know, we have here in Genesis chapter 1, also in chapter 2, uh, but we won't get as far as that. Uh, we have the biblical account of creation. And it really provides a solid foundation for our faith in God and faith in His written Word. Yeah. All right? Faith in God, that we know who God is. We understand the character of God. We understand the integrity of God. We understand the love that God has for us. And we also are very firm on the written Word of God. Um, and, you know, faith is based on a firm understanding of God and of His written Word. Faith is based on that. Sometimes people speak of blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith. Faith is built on a strong understanding of God and of His written Word. And uh, here is what I would like to propose to you today, that if our understanding of, say, of Genesis, the account of creation, if our understanding of that is weak, then our faith is liable to be weak as well. Um, in order to have strong faith in God and in His Word, we believe the whole book in its entirety rather than picking our portions. Oh, I don't believe that, believe that, but I'm trying to believe that. Either the whole thing is true or none of it is true. All right? But for those of us that are born again, we've determined that the whole thing is true. Um, and so with that, I want to read uh, some portions of uh, Genesis chapter 1 few verses there, and then we're going to make some comments, and then we're going to launch out. Uh, I've got a fairly ambitious plan today to get to the end of this message, uh, and if we do, it'll be a miracle. All right, so here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, in, in verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and so it was. And in verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, uh, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so, there we go. Some verses, uh, we haven't got time to deal with the whole thing. Um, let me just comment uh, on some of these things here. And by the way, it might be a good idea to buckle in today. The ride might get a bit bumpy as we go. And close the door, we don't nobody falling out of the bus. All right. And so God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it in six days. And right at the beginning, God set certain laws and principles in motion with the intention that these laws and principles are there perpetually, that they, it carries on over and over and over and over. God is not out there today to make sure that, you know, that the grass that grows, uh, that it'll actually grow. God set all of that in place way back in the beginning. And then it's there in perpetuity over and over and over. And here in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, this is now after the flood of Noah, uh, and God spoke to Noah and and said to him that he was never going to flood the earth again. God put the the rainbow in the sky as a sign of that covenant that that he will never flood the earth again. And then he said this, uh, he says in verse 22, uh, Genesis 8, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Summer, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. All right? It shall not cease. God affirmed that. He did it, uh, set it all in place right at the beginning, and then he reaffirmed it to Noah when he had a fresh start with humanity uh, after the flood, when everybody was wiped out except eight souls, which is Noah and his family. And he says, while the earth remains... He says, these things will just carry on and carry on and carry on and carry on while the earth remains. He says, it shall not cease. Now, one day, this earth will be done away with. God will give us a new heaven and a new earth. But until such time, God's intention was to let this thing carry on in what we will call perpetuity, uh, that it just carries on over and over and over. You know, God created the sun to shine and to give light and warmth in perpetuity. Sun is not about to burn out and shrivel away and disappear and us get all real cold. That sun will just carry on. It'll just carry on. All right. God created each planet to rotate around its own axis and then to orbit around the sun, at least in our solar system. And God has created that to happen in perpetuity. The earth is not about to be thrown out of orbit and to be flung out into outer space someplace. It'll just all carry on. All right. Uh, I'm no expert in these areas, but I've got great faith in this area that we're not about like, oh gosh, maybe we're going to swing out there somewhere. No, no, it'll all just carry on. See, God created the moon to orbit around the earth in perpetuity. 
And that's sort of part of what gives us the, you know, the seasons and the months and so forth. And again, I'm no expert. Um, I'm not trying to sort of sound clever today. I'm just trying to encourage us in some of those areas here. And, uh, you know, some of these things later on, as I begin to comment on it, you might think some of it is a bit random, but I'm hoping that we can tie it all together into a cohesive message today. See, God created each plant, and he commanded it to reproduce itself over and over and over in fact, when he says here in, uh, back in Genesis chapter 8, verse uh, 22, where it says seed time and harvest, uh, actually in the original it says seed and harvest. Seed and harvest. If you sow a seed, there'll be a harvest. And then there'll be another seed, there'll be another harvest. Another seed, and on and on and on. God created each animal and he commanded it to reproduce itself over and over and over. And then God created human beings and he commanded us to reproduce ourselves again and again and again. So here we are, all right? It's all part of the, of, the, of the laws, all part of the principles that God set in place right at the beginning. Now here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 4, like right at the, on the first day of creation, it says God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So God created the light, and then he looked at it and he says, this is good. All right. Uh, God created various parts of his creation over six consecutive days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Um, <laughs> I remember when I was in school and we had uh, one of the, the minister, one of the ministers of the local church do religious education. And then the old guy that came, uh, he was really good, like he was strong and he was like firm on the word and this is what the word says, this is what we believe. Um, when the young guy came along, he suggested that that was all figurative, uh, that they were in literal days. But I absolutely and firmly believe that there were six literal days, days that where God created various parts of his creation. And on the seventh literal day, God rested. All right. Um, it's interesting uh, that when some, some of these uh, people, it seems to me, you know, they got a love for God. They got a passion for the word. And then they head off to seminary. You know, they go into seminary with faith. When they come out the other side, uh, they've got no faith left. It's been decimated. It's been destroyed by fancy liberal theology where everything is subject to just, you know, it just depends on, you know, it's just shifted around as you will. But God's very strong. God's very clear on these things. I firmly believe that there were seven literal days, one week of creation, six days God created the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. And each time when God completed another part of creation, it says, and God saw that it was good. And that's mentioned six times. God saw. So it's like God created something on a day. He looked back, everything he created. And the Bible says God saw what he has made, and it was good. Everybody say good. And then when God finished everything that he made on the end of the sixth day, he looked back over the whole week of creation, and then he said, this is very good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Here it is in Genesis 1.31. And God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. All right. It was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God was pleased with the individual parts of his creation. And he was also pleased with the combined synergy of all parts. And he said, this is very good. A friend I would like to suggest to you today, and I'm only stating the obvious, that has been in recent times a relentless attack on practically every facet of God's creation. See, the devil knows that if he can attack the foundations of God's creation, he can actually severely damage God's creation. Can't do away with it, but, you know, he can severely damage it. And the reality actually is that if the devil can destroy our faith in the Genesis account, he can severely weaken our faith all around. I have plans to go over to our children's church area. You know, they got one of the games that they play over there, and I fully plan to do that. They have a table set up, and uh, uh, some of you wonderful people that work over there, you've seen this, and the kids will know it, that they got a, a box of planks over there, four by twos, about that long. And what they do is they set it up on the ground, you know, at one pile, three this way and three that way, and then they pull this thing, you know, as high as it'll go. And then what they do is they pull out the bottom one very slowly uh, and, and, and then put it on top. And so after a while, the whole thing becomes unstable. And whoever pulls the last one out, uh, I don't know how they do that over there, but whoever pulls the last one out when everything collapses, well, that's the guilty one, all right, uh, or however they, they work that. And so I thought that that would be a good uh, show and tell. But anyway, I just have to tell. I can't show it, but I'm just telling you. You know, we could very well be part of the generation that's guilty, when I say not individually, but guilty of bringing everything to collapse in terms of the way that God has created everything and in the way that society is built up. You know, let's address, uh, or let me address three facets of God's creation, three areas that I want to speak on. As I say, they seem a bit random, but uh, by the time we are finished, and I'm hoping that you will understand that there is a, a specific uh, sort of plan behind all of this. God gave me this message some weeks ago, and I wrote things down, and or at least the uh, the bones of it, if you like, and then I meditate on it a little bit. And sometimes, you know, when it first comes, it comes very strong. And then sometimes I have to put it into the, I have to let it marinate a little bit. Uh, so it softens up a little bit until it becomes, you know, uh, um, fit for, for human consumption, as it were. <laughs> but remember this. These are not the days for pretty little sermonettes uh, just to inspire people. These are the days to pr preach strong truth. And God says to Jeremiah, when he's given him a message to go out into the town square, and God says to him, go out there and preach the whole thing and do not diminish a word. Do not diminish a word. And then when, when Jesus spoke to John the Revelator in the book of Revelation, right at the end in chapter 22, the Lord said, he says, whoever adds to this prophecy of this book. To him, I will add all the plagues that are written about in the book. And whoever takes away from this prophecy, 
He says, his name I will take away from the book of life. God is really concerned that the whole book be left in its entirety, that every generation can read the book and freely preach from it from world to go, from generation, uh, from Genesis rather, not Meridian, from Genesis <laughs> all the way through to the book of Revelation. We're just having a little fun here this morning. So let me speak about three things. Number one, creation itself. Number two, seeds. I want to talk about seeds of plants. And number three, I want to talk about the human sexes, specifically male and female. Now, number one, creation. Uh, again, Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So notice it says that God created. Um, you see, the, the universe has not evolved. Life has not evolved. God is the creator of the heavens of the, and of the earth, and he's the giver of all forms of life. There is no life outside of God, never has been, never will be. The concept of evolution is one of the most successful lies that the devil has ever told. It has divided today's generation into creationists and evolutionists. And creationists are those who believe in the account of creation in the book of Genesis. We will be called creationists because we believe that. We believe in a literal creation of the heavens and of the earth. Um, we haven't got time to get into the detail. The Bible uses the word heavens, um, you know, as in plural. There's actually three heavens, uh, and we've got time to get into all of that. But God's created the heavens, the earth. God's created the whole universe. God created the earth, everything that's in it. God's created every planet that spins around. God's created the whole deal. Evolutionists are the people that believe the lie that the devil has told that everything has evolved. Um, and you know, there is another subgroup of people that believe in what, what's called intelligent design. Uh, and many times people in academia, if they do not believe in evolution, they would use the word um, intelligent design. And the reason why they do that is because if they claim, proclaim to be um, creationists, in, in a uh, academic learning facility, they will be cut off. Um, and uh, they will be, you know, like nowadays, things are such that most schools and most academic, uh, uh, academic uh, institutions will preach and proclaim uh, evolution. And, but evolution is actually a, a doctrine of a particular religion, a religion and the religion is called secularism. Um, and, you know, we could sort of uh, go around that for a little while as well. Uh, some people who believe in intelligent design, they have studied this whole thing and they said it is not possible for this whole thing to come together randomly, by chance, by luck, by accident, Big Bang, and all of these other things that have been banded around. Um, some of those would not believe in God or they would not know the God, of, uh, the, God the, uh, the, the Creator, as we know Him and understand Him. They might be what we will call agnostics. They say, look, there's somebody out there, but we don't know who it is. We cannot know, but we do believe in intelligent design. You know, Charles Darwin, 
has been credited with popularizing the concept of evolution with his book called The Origin of Species. Um, and Charles Darwin um, traveled around the world and made notes and drawings and sketches and things, and he put all of that into the book, and that was to challenge uh, the prevailing understanding of the day that the world had been created. He said, no, it has not, and of course it, uh, this whole thing started to gain traction and uh, so much so. You see, when, when I went to school, uh, and that wasn't that many years ago, just a bit over half a century. <laughs> I, I just wanted to sound that, that, for that to sound dramatic, you know. Uh, they used to call it the theory of evolution. Well, now it's taught as fact. Yet there's no scientific basis to it whatsoever. None whatsoever. You see, of today's older generation, and I'm not old yet, but one day I will be, of today's older generation, Many are creationists because many have had some background of Sunday school. They might not be in church today, but they've had background where they've been taught some of these basic principles of creation and of the, the week of creation and the whole deal. And, and parents, can I appeal to you? Please teach these things to your children because when they go to school, they will be bombarded from all sides with the line, unless you put the truth in and put it in early and affirm it over and over and over, your kids are going to lose their faith. And tragically, many Christian children, when they then go to university, that's a whole new ball game. They go in there with faith. And they come out the other side and their faith has been decimated. So parents don't lose no time Every day, every week, put in Bible truth because it gets attacked uh, as soon as they step out the door. And sometimes it gets attacked by the things that you put in front of them just to entertain them for a little bit uh, because that evolution thing, that lie, is so pervasive, it's kind of everywhere. It's in children's books, it is in kids' TV programs, and it is in, it's just everywhere. Of today's younger generation, many are evolutionists. Um, and you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were speaking about, you know, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which says that faith comes by hearing. Well, we have worked out that unbelief also comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and unbelief comes by hearing. And people hear that lie over and over and over. And especially if there is an absence of truth in their lives, they will eventually believe the lie. So, in essence, evolution is a convenient way to explain away the existence of God. You know, people that are in high rebellion against God, evolution is convenient because it means I don't have to deal with a creator. And I can push it out of my mind that, you know, they talk about, you know, one day you'll meet your maker. You know, they push that out of their minds. Oh, no, 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 it's all come together random. We're just all random. You know, it's all random. Yeah. The concept of evolution is built on an old earth theory. And you know, you watch any National Geographic's program, type program today, you know, there's all oh, 20 million years ago and 60 million years ago and so many million years ago. And, uh, and uh, yet some creation, creationists proclaim a young earth theory. And when we say young earth, they're talking about 6,000 years. 
If you study the Bible and they go right back to Genesis, back to Adam, there's approximately 6,000 years of history there. And uh, let me just briefly tell you my, my journey um, through this whole thing. Um, I am a creationist, always have been. I grew up in a somewhat Christian environment um, and always believed in creation. Um, even when I was away from God and living a, the life of a rebel, I still believed in creation. I just didn't go there uh, until I was confronted with, you know, with, with the person and the name of Jesus Christ, and I had to choose, you know, choose you this day, God says, whom you will serve. And I came to that point as a, as a young adult, and um, in the end, uh, surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and became born again and most of you are able to tell a similar story. Um, and uh, with the teaching that uh, we've had in the early days, Vanessa and I, in going to Bible college, we had believed um, in, a, in a doctrine, what we call the gap theory, and I'll elaborate on that just a little bit later on. We haven't got time to delve into the whole thing. Um, but we believed uh, that it is possible to bridge... Um, or to deal with the challenges between an old earth theory and a young earth theory through the doctrine called the gap theory. Now, there's a whole lot of theories in all directions, aren't there? All right. Um, and basically, the gap theory suggests a huge gap of time, as well as a pre-Adamic race, in Genesis chapter 1, between the end of verse 1 and before the beginning of verse 2. That's why they call it, there's a gap in there. Even though when you read that, you don't see that gap, but it's there. Now, there's other gaps in the Word that you don't immediately see unless you study the Bible. We haven't got time to point it into that uh, direction just now either. But as I say, there are gaps in different areas where we need to study other parts of the Word and try to figure out, the, oh, I see, that's, that fits in here. All right. Like in the Old Testament, they didn't know that there was such a thing as a 2,000 years of church age. We're in that gap of the church age right now that the Old Testament prophets didn't know about it. They did not understand. It was called the mystery or part of the mystery. All right. And so here in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, period. And the gap theory says that there is a gap in there, a huge time gap. And there was a pre-Adamic race of beings um, before it then goes into verse 2, where it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And one of the arguments here is, and like we haven't got time to get into the whole thing, but one of the arguments is when God creates something, it's not without form, and it's not void, and it's not in chaos like this thing was in verse 2. And it says, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, over the deep. And then God began to speak. He spoke His Word. He spoke creative words. And then order came into disorder. Light came where there was darkness, and so forth. Um, and, uh, and so what we see in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, 
is actually not the original creation, it's the recreation of what God had created earlier that the devil has thoroughly messed up. And there's a huge body of scripture that speaks of Satan destroying cities and generations and messing up everything that he kind of uh, was in, in, in charge of when he was, you know, on the earth uh, uh, at the time. And, uh, and so, and basically decimating God's original creation into a wasteland. So that in the end, when the Spirit of God, you know, came, that it, was just, it was just a mess. So that's what we call the gap theory because it speaks of a gap. We haven't got time to teach on We might one day, might get Pastor Vanessa to, to teach it. She's really passionate in this area. And actually, uh, we feel it answers a lot of questions that people have. And we believe that it helps young people today to kind of reconcile between evolution and creation. That when they talk about, you know, the carbon dating and all of that, that this is, you know, millions of years old. Well, yeah, possible. Possible. But human creation, as we understand it today from Adam and Eve, is about 6,000 years. All right? So, and I'm only telling you that my journey, when we had believed in the gap theory, and then, you know, in, in recent decades, then along came the, what we call the creationists, uh, who believed in a young earth, and, and they spoke about a young earth, not just a young human uh, uh, creation, but young earth. And I sort of looked at all of that, and it threw me out a little bit. Now, I didn't go to the evolutionists because of it. I still stayed a creationist, but I thought, ah, oh, I put that in the two-heart basket just now. I'll come back to it, and I'll deal with it later. It's not a salvation issue. It's not a salvation issue, but I'll deal with it later. And, of course, uh, subsequently, some of this wonderful teaching that we've had in Bible college, some of you were there, sort of delving right down into the specifics of which just, we cannot uh, do that in a given, uh, you know, Sunday, Sunday service, but, uh, but there is plenty of teaching around that will, uh, you know, help people to understand in this area. I believe it helps young people today when they're at school and in the various uh, learning facilities where they get bombarded with all of these age-old things and then the, the, you know, the young earth creationists are saying that and there is just no, no way to reconcile those two, but the gap theory to a certain extent reconciles those two and I'm quite comfortable when they say this old and this old and this old uh, possible. Let me... Uh, so, so anyway, <laughs> just to finish my, my little story about my own journey that I'm now fairly firmly established in this doctrine, what they call the gap theory, and it makes good sense to me. Um, but you know what? Uh, when I get to heaven, God can confirm to me one way or the other, and we're going to listen to you know, people teach the word of God in heaven, people like Moses and Paul and the prophets, they will speak to us and they will explain all of these things. If we have any question mark, it'll all be settled when we get to heaven. All right, let me two, point number two, speak about seeds. Um, in Genesis 1 verse 11, God says, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and so it was. So, grasses um, yielding seed, fruit trees growing up, yielding fruit, and the seed is inside the fruit. All right. Only God could have thought of that. All right. And then 
So you got a tree, you get fruit, you get seed, you have another tree, and just on and on, and that's how the whole thing uh, has been covered. You know, all the seeds that we have around today, with the exception of those that have been contaminated and tampered with, is all a derivative of what God put in place way back in the book of Genesis, right in the beginning. In recent times, recent history, there's been a massive attack on edible seeds. Um, and I suppose we will mostly talk about grains, such as wheat, corn or, or maize, rice, soy, and things that are, that are edible. You see, when God first created seed-yielding plants, the seeds were very good. And there are still seeds around today, what is called heirloom seeds. If anybody's ever studied this whole area and done their research, they, they are what they call heirloom seeds, which are still the original without any contamination in them, without any tampering, without any messing up. Um, and they're very good. You see, the seeds kept on producing new plants and new seeds and new plants and new seeds season after season after season. Harvest after harvest after harvest. God has made sure that uh, the whole world's population is able to eat. There is more than enough food. The term overpopulation is a lie of the devil. All right, just don't believe it. It's an evolutionist idea. Evolution is a lie. Overpopulation is a lie. It's all lies. And one lie is there to support another lie. It's a whole web of lies that cannot stand individually. But once you've got the whole web where one lie protects another lie, you see, the truth doesn't need to protect itself. The truth stands all of its own. It stands on, it stands on its own. The truth is never afraid. The truth is never nervous when the lie is around. The truth doesn't lose any sleep, so to speak. But the lie loses sleep. The, tr the lie hates the, li the hates the truth. And that's why right now we're in a, in a stage in our society around the world. We are, we are trying to be hushed up. Don't speak truth because the, the lie is out there. And, and, and don't anybody disagree. We do not want to debate. We don't want just say nothing and only agree. That's where we live today. See, today, certain individuals and corporations would say, the seeds are no good. We need to make them better. We need to improve them. <laughs> it's like God made the seeds. Man says, we need to make them better. God says they're good. Man says it's not good. You see, they talk about uh, improving seeds through genetic engineering Everybody has heard of GMOs, genetically modified organisms. Basically, a GMO is a genetically modified organism whose genetic material has been altered using genetic engineering techniques. So, science today has the ability to reach right into the very structure of this thing. And again, I'm not a scientist. I don't fully understand it. I don't know how they do that, but it's done. Genetically modified seed. 
And of course, they say, we need to do that because we need to feed the world's population. But friends, there's nothing wrong with the original seeds. In many places around the world where genetic modification seeds has really taken a hold, that's where the hunger is. That's where the harvest failures are. That's where the suicides amongst farmers are happening. Because what they've done is they have done away with the original seeds and then provided seeds to the farmers. I do this, and this will really produce a wonderful harvest for you. The problem is the harvest no longer produces seeds in them. So you've got to go back and buy the same seeds from the same company over and over and over. And by the time they're sprayed with the stuff, more notably a product called Roundup, and they ruin the ground, and then nothing else grows properly either, and then the very crop that they've it's no longer happening. Do your research, it is a nightmare. And in principle, I'm completely, as a person, and you can arrive at your own conclusion, I'm completely against GMOs. They can tell me no lie that would make me believe that it's even remotely a good thing. Because God says the seeds are good. And the evil individuals and companies that have done what they've done and to take away the farmer's original seeds. You know, you do your research and up in places like in Africa now, in India, they talk about the death trains up there. It is unbelievable. The suicides amongst farmers is because the crop failure after crop failure. Because the harvest comes forth. Yes, there is a plant. But that seed that comes up on the plant does not have the ability to produce uh, another harvest. And that's evil at its very core. The people that do that and the companies that do that. Because on the forefront of that is a company called Monsanto. Um, Monsanto has actually been bought out by Bayer, the Bayer sort of pharmaceutical chemical company, German company, we call it German, but you know, nowadays it's all multinationals. Companies that are filled with greedy people, CEOs that earn obscene sums of money, I'm talking every year millions of dollars, to roll out what they've rolled out. It's evil in its very core. We ought to make an effort to fight it at every turn because it is about to upend in the way that society functions with you know, farming, proper farming, processes. Uh, I grew up on the farm. Uh, I knew when, when we harvested, our father put aside some sacks of grains, and he says, these are not for eating. This is what we eat. This is not for eating. We're going to you know, sow that for next year's harvest, harvest, and again, and again, and again, and again. See, tragically, a lot of people think that food comes from supermarkets. <laughs> Honestly, there's people in cities that have never thought about this. I, I sometimes make dramatic statements, and, uh, and uh, you know, my, my attitude is, and you can disagree with that, this is not thus says the law, but my, my attitude is that supermarket food is designed to kill people off slowly. It um, doesn't kill them fast, it kills them slow. Uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to discourage you, but this is a difficult area to wrestle with and to get around. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got individuals like Bill Gates 
who is making out he's a good man. That man has spent one of the richest men in the world, still is, uh, supposedly giving away loads and loads and loads of money, but in the process he's getting richer and richer and richer. How does he do that? He spent millions of dollars on a PR exercise to make himself out to be known as the philanthropist. I mean, he's the good man that goes to places and helps people. But he's not a good man. He's an evil man to his very core. Bill Gates has been uh, said to be the biggest owner of farmland in the United States right now. And one of the ways that they've done that is with GMOs, when farmers uh, who grown conventional crops, when GMO crops flew across the fence from the neighboring farm where they grew GMOs, uh, then they got you know, uh, GMOs in amongst their good crop, and then somehow, you know, it's been tested, um, and uh, then the farmer then gets uh, taken to court, uh, say, you, you, you stolen our seeds. And only in America is that possible. I just cannot get my head around this. And in the end, they, 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 they you know, have their lawsuits going on, the farmers cannot afford them, and there's another farm that's up for grabs, and Bill Gates has bought up farm after farm after farm. Um, he, he would like us to believe that he gives things away, but he doesn't. He wants to control the food supply of the world. He's a madman. All right? That whole area of uh, Roundup and glyphosate, which is the active ingredient, I could talk about this for hours. Um, and... and and I come from the industry of, you know, food production. I grew up on the farm, food production, food processing, food preparation, everything. I come from that world. For, for me to sort of work my way through that has been very difficult because the, the deception machinery is so sophisticated today in the terminology that it just boggles the mind. You know, anybody that wishes to live a healthy life would do well to avoid GMOs and crops that have been sprayed with glyphosate. In New Zealand now, I don't fully understand the whole deal, but I've spoken with farmers, what the uh, cropping farmers, they do cropping, uh, they grow crops rather than run livestock. That the average crop of grains in New Zealand now, unless it's grown organically, is sprayed with Roundup at least three times, sometimes four times. It's when the seeds first come up uh, they spray to keep the weeds down, and then they sprayed another time to keep the weeds down, and just before they harvest, they sprayed once more, and the last time when they sprayed, they sprayed on the fully formed plant with the grains in it, and they do that to desiccate the crop quickly, and then they harvest it, and then process it, and then it comes into the supermarkets, uh, and people go and buy food, and then they talk about, uh, uh, you know, gluten intolerance. Now, there might well be such a thing. I'm not a medical expert at all. But my strong suspicion is that people who, uh, who have been told they're gluten intolerance, I would suggest that it's Roundup that they're intolerant against because it's been sprayed on the crops. As is, I know my father, when the harvest was ready with the grains, we grew uh, rye, we grew wheat, uh, um, oats, uh, barley, different things. When the harvest was ready, he would go out there, he would feel the grain, he would look at the color, 
Um, and from the moment it was ready, it needed another two weeks until it was dry sufficiently so it could be harvested and be brought into the barn and processed. If you bring it in slightly damp, it'll rot. So what they do today to make it easier on the farmers, uh, they just spray this thing and then it desiccates very quickly, dries out very quickly. Nobody thinks about what that roundup will do on the grains that will then get processed. And, uh, and of course, then they peel away the outside, uh, the good stuff of the, uh, of the, uh, the grain, the seed, and they give you the white flour. It's been demineralized, it's been sprayed, it's just a disaster. Friends, it's a disaster. And there's no easy answer for it. I'm not trying to discourage you. But uh, why do we have that level of sickness uh, that we have? Where's all of these cancers coming from? Why do we have all of these allergies today that when I grew up, we never heard about these things? Where does all of that come from? Wheat is a grain, is the most popular grain in Western society. Wheat is actually not that good for us, the current wheat. It's been, you know, there is, there is GMOs where they genetically modify seeds, but there's also a way to, to naturally uh, breed certain seeds to, and that's acceptable up to a certain point, but you know, wheat, um, wheat, I should say, you know, white flour makes you fat and clogs you up. And if it's of the kind that comes through the, the conventional food chain, will give you all sorts of problems. And yet there is not an easy answer for it. I'm just throwing that out there. Do your research. Do your due diligence. Let me get into point number three very quickly. <laughs> I know I haven't provided you with many answers here. I'm just, I'm just alerting, alerting you. You know, the third point, and we're still speaking about God's creation, the, the human sexes, uh, specifically male and female. Here in Genesis 1 verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You know, God's created two sexes, namely male and female. You know, our sex at birth has been assigned to us by God and should be fully accepted and appreciated and I would even say, even celebrate it. Now, what I'm about to say is not uh, to give people a hard time that have what we will call gender dysphoria, which is a confusion in regards to their sex, because these people are deserving of our respect, of our love, and our acceptance, and us endeavoring to help them with that, to whatever extent that we're able uh, to help them. If people can be helped, and people can be made, you know, to come right so that in the end they're at a place where they can ex accept their biological uh, sex and then function uh, in accordance with, with God's design that if they get married, they're able to produce children and fulfill that mandate where God says, be fruitful, multiply, you know, replenish the earth. 
But you know, today's attempts by many to confuse the sexes is an extreme form of rebellion against God. And uh, our heart goes out to people who are confused in this area. They don't need our condemnation. That's not what they need. Uh, in fact, while we are able to help them, it moves afoot with the government outlawing any help that we are able to help these people. Let's help as many as what we can. But the agenda needs to be fought like tooth and nail. Just fight the agenda that is getting rolled out around the world, uh, not just in societal norms. The whole thing has been upheavaled to an extent now where if this thing keeps on going, because this thing has crept into Christianity as well and into churches. You know, in some years to come, if you looked at what they would call Christianity, you'd look at a religion that you will no longer recognize. Because the very foundations have been uprooted, undermined, and then it becomes, is it in danger of becoming just another new age religion? We like this, we like this, no, we don't like that, do that away. But God says, do not diminish a word. So there is an extreme form of rebellion. It's extreme. It's rebellion. See, the Bible tells us in Timothy that evil men and imposters will get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We've got politicians there today. There are some good ones amongst them, absolutely. I do not wish to like, you know, make a blanket statement, but some of them are evil men and evil women. Some of them are just deceived, but others are deceivers. And you've got to watch the deceived ones, but you've got to really watch the deceivers. Those that know exactly what they're doing, is a part of a bigger agenda to undermine the Judeo-Christian values in a society that has kept us in good state generation after generation after generation. And the only thing that stands between, uh, you know, some of these people and total chaos to send us back into the Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 where everything was form and void and just a disaster. The only thing that stands in between that is the Judeo-Christian value system uh, Judaism, the Ten Commandments, Christianity, uh, and so forth. You see, our agenda, I'm just trying to help young people here who get bombarded with this at school. At kindy, they're already coming after your kids. I've said before, we're fighting for our nation, but I'm not fighting for our nation for me. And I'm not so much fighting our nation for my children because they're well-established but I'm fighting for my grandchildren. See, our agenda is based on our anatomy, not on our perception or choice. See, a person with male anatomy is male. 
and a person with female anatomy is female. And any attempts to change one's sex is ungodly. I'm preaching that today because in time to come, with the laws that are getting rushed through Parliament while half the nation is locked down, this will become illegal. Certain texts preach to preach from will literally become illegal. Now you think, oh, I'm feeling sorry for the preachers. No, no, I'm feeling sorry for the parents. Because what's coming with that, uh, for example, there's the hate speech law, then they're working on that. They say, oh, this is hate speech and you're inciting hate, which is we not, we love people. You know, the best way to love people is to tell people the truth and not agree with their lie. Some of that can be a bit confrontational, but that is the best way to help people because ultimately there is a judgment coming. And to sort of agree with people's confusion as though you'll be all right, you'll be all right, when we know they're not going to be all right. That's actually not love at all. So hate speech law, then you got that birth certificate law thingy that they're working on where anybody can go back and change this birth certificate where, you know, they've been at birth, you know, say, registered as, 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 as a boy, as a male, they can go back and change that uh, as often as they like, and female, the same, like it can be changed into any variation. But God says there's only male and there's only female. All right. What I find very tragic uh, is that some of those sex changes that are being offered to young people today, these are young people that have never worked a whole day in their whole life. They're too young. They're still barely out of their schooling. And some of those operations cost a quarter of a million of dollars that's out of taxpayers' money through our health system. And then you've got an old man, an old woman over here that's worked all of their life and paid taxes all of their life, and contributed to society all of their life, and never broken the law, and been nothing but a good citizen, and keeps on getting bumped off of the uh, list for surgery because we have no room in our hospitals, and we've got no money for that surgery right now. That's wrong. It's evil. And some of these people that push these things are just pure silly, and some of them are outright evil. You get that uh, anti-conversion therapy legislation that they're working on. Um, as I say, you might feel sorry for preachers. You don't need to feel sorry for preachers, but I feel sorry for parents. When little Johnny comes home from school and says, Oh, Mom, I want to take puberty blockers. And uh, I don't want to be a boy anymore. I want to be a girl. And under the current format, parents that try to steer their children towards their biological sex will be criminalized. And make no mistake about it, if that law goes through, they say it's not going to happen. They said the same thing with the anti-smacking law. Say good parents will not be criminalized. Do not believe these people are full of lies. And some of them are just so deceived, it just boggles the mind. Some of us have put in submissions into you know, concerning some of these laws to the select committee. And some people have been bold enough to appear before the select committee. And I've, I've listened to, watched some of those testimonies where people have brought it. But uh, I get a strong sense that the uh, select committee have been handpicked from the, the ruling party. 
they're already convinced, they already know what they want. They're only just going through the motions of it. I mean, obviously, they've got people there from the opposition party, some which are good, solid people, but what's going on right now is just, uh, it's sickening. I can't, I can't even watch it anymore. I'm looking at some of these people. I'm looking at the, at, at, at the minister that they've got there that drives this whole thing. I'm thinking, why don't they put an intelligent person into that role? I just, I, I can't stand it anymore. People say, oh, gosh, Pastor, you're not being very polite. No, I'm beyond polite. I'm now beyond polite. We preach the truth in love, but it's beyond politeness. We're losing the nation. This keeps going. We need to fight this agenda. You see, any law that promotes the current gender identity, where, you know, where they say you can choose your gender, is an ungodly law. And what's so wicked about it is that uh, it'll criminalize good parents. It'll do away with counselors and psychologists that up to now have been able to help people to get out of their gender dysphoria. It'll criminalize them. It'll criminalize uh, youth pastors and Christian counselors uh, and pastors that will try to help some of these people, many of which are calling out for help. But that help will become illegal. It'll lock these people into their situation and they are without help. Don't you tell me to be kind. The wickedness of it. Now, of course, what I'm doing today is not popular preaching. You understand that we're not here for popularity. This sort of stuff doesn't make you popular necessarily. But somewhere, I'm saying, where are the preachers of righteousness that have prayed to tackle the difficult issues while we still can before they start locking preachers up. I close with a couple of scriptures, um, Acts 17, verse 31. Paul standing on Mars Hill, preaching to the Greeks that were almost similar to today's society. You know, they had a statue there to the unknown God. You know, they sort of paid some credence to the unknown God. But other than that, they lived. They were all over the place in their lifestyle and, you know, in their, in their morals and everything else. And Paul preached to them and he says, look, he says, you've got a statue here preaching to the unknown God, but I'm here to tell you the name of this unknown God. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he began to preach Christ to them. And he says, look, he says, the, the, the divine nature is not like a, a thing that you can make with somebody's clever skill to put something together with silver and gold or even stone or wood. And then he goes on to say here in, in uh, verse 31, it says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked in the past, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. We've said this before, but Jesus Christ came the first time as the Savior of the world. And he will come again as the judge of the world. All right. So he has appointed a day. And so he commands all men everywhere to repent. Everyone that wants to get, go to heaven must repent of their sins, must repent 
of, of, of their unbelief, must repent of their rebellion against God. The thief must repent of thievery. The adulterer must repent of adultery. The, the other people, you know, the, the homosexual has to repent of homosexuality. Lesbians have to repent of lesbianism. And all the way through of all of this other stuff has to be completely repented of and then to call on the name of the Lord. And God being as gracious as what he is, he accepts all of us. Not one person's sin is worse than another's. There's no such thing as a, you know, a sin that's not so bad, another one that's really bad. All sin is bad. All men have to repent. But what I'm telling you, that that scripture there will be another scripture that will be deemed illegal when you're telling a person uh, that's all messed up in their, in their thing to repent from that, uh, it's really, really, uh, um, it, it's really, as I say, we live in a day that's, uh, it's just, it's just amazing. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I close with this. Everybody needs to call on the name of the Lord. Nobody slides into heaven automatically. God's got no grandchildren. He's only got children. Everybody must be born again if they want to see the kingdom of God. Jesus says you must be born again. And in order to do that, we have to repent of our sin. We cannot cling to our sin and try to get Jesus into our lives because Jesus will not you know, partner up with the sin in our lives. It's one or the other. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.